Hey, Strategy Simplified, Naman here, COO of Management Consultant, and I am so excited to bring today's conversation to you. I recently sat down with Daniel Liu, Managing Director for Career Education at the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. Daniel is a former Deloitte consultant who leverages his past life to help his MBAs break into consulting, tech, financial services, and other post-MBA career paths. In this conversation, we discuss career strategy more broadly, how and when you know if an MBA is right for you, and our best case and consulting interview tips. Don't forget to stick around at the end of the episode for a special after-office hour segment, where we'll answer a question on how to break into consulting from a semi-target undergrad program. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to today's episode of Strategy Simplified. I'm so thrilled to have Daniel Liu with us. Daniel is the Managing Director of Career Education and Coaching for full-time programs at UT McCombs. Uh, he's been a longtime partner, a friend, uh, and he's a career expert. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to pick his brain today on how to break into consulting, how to think long-term about your career, uh, especially if you are thinking about going to pursue an MBA. Uh, and so we're going to dive into uh, a fast-paced, fun conversation today with Daniel. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Naman. It's a huge pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation to join the Strategy Simplify podcast. Absolutely. Well, let's start here. For those listeners who may not know you, can you just share a quick overview of your background? Sure. From a professional standpoint, I've spent the past seven years working in university career services, and prior to that, almost six years in management consulted. And so if I think back in undergrad, I majored in engineering management science, mathematics with a minor in computer science at SMU in Dallas, and then I completed a master's in engineering management. And my major was highly attractive to management consulting. And I was fortunate enough to launch my career at Deloitte, where the majority of my work was focused in the public sector, helping state government agencies with large-scale, complex business transformation. And you know, one interesting fact for your listeners, I never got on a plane for work. So when I first started, I had the opportunity. I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had the opportunity to switch offices from Dallas to Austin. You know, it was a bit vague, but after some conversations, it was pretty clear there was this pipeline of client work in Austin, and I would either be living in Dallas and hopping on flights to Austin, or get the opportunity to plant some roots and, and you know kind of live and work in the same city. Which wow, you know, like if you think about that decision, um, you know, now over a decade later, still living in Austin, and, and really grateful that I made that choice. You really got the best of both worlds, huh? I did. Never I having did. to get on a plane, but getting to work at Deloitte? <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs. <laughs> there are trade-offs. So uh, I guess there's no lifetime Marriott Platinum status. There's no there's no Delta Diamond for life, but uh, you've got to be home every night. So, exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about one thing you mentioned, Dana. You said you, you graduated with a degree in engineering management, and you and I both know that's an attractive degree and background for consulting firms. But we hear from dozens of engineers every week who say, do I have a good profile for consulting? Can you just break down for me why consulting firms like folks with engineering backgrounds? Sure. I, I think it comes down to two specific qualities that you get a chance to sort of you know, polish as a student in an engineering program. You have this high rigor of ability to learn and absorb information, whether it's in mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, or, you know, even in, you know, some of the biomechanical engineering, right? You, where you have to, if you can pass OCAM, then you have these technical chops, if you will, to be able to learn anything and absorb information. And I think that's a really critical skill 
especially early in your career as a consultant. The other one is, I think, just traditionally engineering um, also has a foundation of mathematics and that math is driven by logic. And so much of business decision-making is logical, right? It's about being this voice for your client and thinking about a problem to be able to step beyond the focus or the pain point and ask the questions of logically, how can we think about different frameworks and algorithms, if you will, um, to uniquely solve our client's problem. And so again, I think those are some skills that you really get to hone throughout your academic journey in an engineering program. And I think it really helps set up, uh, if you're able to also bring the soft skill communication piece, then you're really sort of a double threat uh, when it comes to interviewing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you're working with students, helping them to break into tech consulting and other fields. Can you talk to us about the work that you do at McCombs and how you help folks from diverse backgrounds develop these long-term career strategies? So I have a slightly unique role in business school career services. As, as you mentioned, my title, you know, I'm in a managing director role overseeing career strategy across three separate coaching teams that provide support to our undergraduate BBAs, our specialty master graduate students, and our full-time MBA students. And my charge is really thinking about how is career education and higher education being accelerated and transformed, especially through this pandemic, right? Higher education is, is clearly not immune to the impact of what's happening in the marketplace. And, you know, ultimately, I'm just really grateful and lucky to have this opportunity to lead our team of directors and amazing career coaches to really do two things. One is to foster agility and analytical capabilities that then enable us to prepare our students to strategically meet this constantly right, changing landscape that we call the future of work. So you and I have different vantage points on higher ed. Uh, you work in higher ed. I work closely with partners in higher ed. Uh, and I think higher ed is one of the industries that is most ripe for disruption uh, in, in the business world today. So uh, do you agree? And, and if so, how do you see that disruption taking place over the next decade? Yeah, I think every industry has been disrupted. And I would agree that there's a lot of disruption here. You know, there's a lot of different angles we could take this conversation. I would, I would offer this. The opportunity is there, which means there's one of two things that can happen, right? Either an institution is been preparing for it, right? And so they're facing the acceleration of disruption in a very, uh, you know, coming from a, a way of strength, right? Or you're a university that is caught in the midst of figuring out what's going on and you're trying to scramble to bring resources to bear to be able to resolve and solve these. Or you're in a place where you're saying, you know, these are disruptions and we choose not to, right? Um, focus on those areas and maybe we focus on other areas. And so again, I think it just really depends, but I, I do think that as students continue to navigate both the undergraduate and also the graduate higher education market, it's going to continue to look different. Absolutely. So it's an exciting time to be a leader in higher ed like you are. It's also an exciting time to go back to school and pursue an MBA or other advanced degree. Uh, you have these conversations all the time, and we get asked these questions uh, hundreds of times a month. I, how do I know if an MBA is right for me? If, if I want to break into consulting, do I need an MBA? Uh, do you have a framework that you recommend for folks who are considering uh, an MBA or other advanced degree program? How do we figure out if, if that's the right and next career move for us? Yeah, there's, there's certainly plenty of podcasts and other resources right around from a, like a, a MBA admissions lens, right, of whether an MBA is right for you. And, you know, I think my point of view is biased, right? Having coached hundreds of MBAs on their career strategy, it, clearly there's, there's some value there, 
right? I, I think in terms of framework, my favorite is probably Don Graham's book, Switchers. So Don Graham has worked in university career services for quite some time. Her book is amazing because it's focused on helping you get unstuck, rebrand yourself, and land a new career. And it's not specific to MBAs, but there's this framework. She has a two-by-two for thinking about the degree of difficulty to make a switch. And so if you think about this you know, quadrant, the first quadrant is the career enhancer. You're looking to really advance your career in the same industry and same function. That's really easy. There's no switch there. But then as you kind of go around the quadrants, the next one, which is slightly easy, but still a little bit of challenge, is how do you switch industry? So you're staying in the same function, but you're changing your industry. Next is it's a lot harder to change actually your function and stay in the same industry, right? So let's say you're working in retail and marketing to move over to finance. Finance is going to be more challenging, right? But if you're going from one marketing and retail to marketing and tech, there's a lot of easy transferable functional skills you can bring with you. The most difficult, of course, is going to be making that double change, right? So a double switch, and we talk about this with our students. Um, if you're looking to make a double switch, you really have to think thoughtfully about what are the skills, both hard and soft, that you're bringing into an application process. How do you showcase and you know feature those skills in a networking or in an interview setting? And so again, I think this framework is so valuable. If you're thinking about an MBA, business school continues to be this great accelerator, right, of these changes. You can come to business school and make a double switch, perhaps easier than if you were to do it without a business school. And there's a lot of reasons why I think mostly it, it ties around two-year full-time MBA programs offer internships and experiential learning opportunities that really allowed you to have the skills that make you, you know, make these almost micro steps that lead you to the bigger switcher step that you're trying to make. Anyone who breaks problems down with a two-by-two two matrix is someone who's you know, near and dear to my heart. So we will definitely link to Don's book in the show notes. Uh, and I'd encourage you to check that out. So you started to talk about, okay, an MBA gives you this experiential education. It gives you the opportunity for an internship if you're going to pursue a two-year full-time program. Uh, are there things that folks can do to, to prepare uh, to succeed in an MBA program? Let's say I read Don's book, I listen to you today, and I decide, you know what? Yes, an MBA is right for me. What can I do in... You know, what can I do today? It's early May and I'm starting school, right? Anywhere from three to 15 months from now. Uh, what can I do to make sure that my time in the NBA program will be most effective? Great question. And this is a perfect time of year to really be thinking about this. If you are admitted to a MBA program and still deciding if you're going to go to one or which one you're going to go to, or especially if you're in the process of beginning your applications for, you know, fall applications. I would say, you know, don't wait until you get to school to start your career exploration. I think that's the obvious one, right? In undergrad, you, if, if you had a positive career exploration experience in undergrad, you know, you had roughly four years to test and try different things. Well, the MBA experience is, I think the best word is it's highly optimized and it benefits students who come in with some focus and direction. I mean, even just knowing what geography you want to be in career-wise is, is a good filter, right? It's a baseline if you don't know what specific industry or focus yet. And so again, going back to switchers, right? Are you making a one or two skip, you know, stepping stone move? And I think at Texas McCombs, you know, we recognize that you're going to get so much information that you have to absorb in your first few weeks. And you know, we have this very rigorous fall semester. And so we actually, you know, with the students that have just been recently admitted and have accepted um, our program, we're already beginning that career preparedness uh, journey with them. And we, we start that pre-program in the summer um, again, there's a lot of summer activity, especially in consulting, 
Um, and so we prepare our students for that. And again, as they get into everything, you know, it, it never slows down, right? So again, I think the best thing you can do right now is don't wait, um, start something, whether, whether it's uh, an informational interview conversation to better understand an industry you know nothing about, or it's simply connecting with someone so that you have them as a relationship, right, as a resource for you when you get to that point where you start having questions. That's really good. And you have a unique perspective on this because you led uh, the GSAP initiative at Deloitte's Austin office when you were there. Uh, can you talk to us about what that is and how that experience informed your own decision to, uh, I won't give it away, either pursue or not pursue an MBA? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so the GSAP um, at Deloitte specifically, there's a graduate student assistance program. And you know most consulting firms offer some type of initiative like this. It's a great way for you to, you know, you're kind of mid-career and you're, you know, looking to enhance and grow skills. And at Deloitte, that was something that was highly valued. They, they cared about that professional development a lot. And so they give students this opportunity to apply. And if you get accepted, then you leave Deloitte, you go and do your MBA, uh, or I think now it's offered open to other graduate degrees. And then you come back and, you know, you come back in a new level. Um, there's growth. There's, you know, again, I think a lot of value in getting that MBA covered, uh, sponsored. I think that the thing for me was as I dove into that, because that seemed like the, the thing to do, um, to help both myself and my peers think about professional development. So I was coaching already uh, in that capacity. What I quickly realized was while there were a lot of reasons to go to business school, they didn't really quite resonate with me and where I was enjoying the type of work I was doing. Um, I was getting to do a good balance between technical and functional work, even though I was a technology consultant at Deloitte, I was actually working a lot in strategy and human capital. And so when it came down to it, I realized, wow, I really want to help my peers be successful in all the different steps it takes to prepare for business school. And so I really enjoyed and kind of cherished more of like sort of a student org uh, leader role um, in, in helping you know my peers be successful. And then in hindsight, you know, I think about sort of the opportunities that I was able to have um, in the midst of making the choice not to leave. And I think a, a critical one is something that couldn't have really been planned for, uh, but I had the opportunity to work on some initiatives around um, you know, Obamacare, right, when that was being implemented. And again, if I had chosen the business school route, I would have been leaving and wouldn't have had some of those opportunities, one of which led me to get a chance to work very closely with the CEO of Deloitte. For the record, I think you made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> and so you just mentioned you you had broad industry and functional exposure at Deloitte, uh, and you were there for six years. How does your experience at Deloitte informed the work you're doing now with your students and just as a career strategist more broadly? Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe the reason I'm in my current role is because of the unique experiences that I had from Deloitte. For example, right, Deloitte created this great environment for coaching and mentoring others, which then directly translates and relates to the work that I did as a career coach. And you know, as I kind of mentioned, when I was a technology consultant, I worked on client engagements where I really had to wear different hats that range from strategy to technology to human capital. And every day in my role as a leader, as a business leader in higher education, I draw from that variety of skills and experiences that I gained over those years. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this, you know, opportunity to work close with the COO. That was my first time working on a virtual team. That was back in 2012, 13, I think. And again, before it was, was cool, to, huh? Yeah, before it was cool. And I got to, you know, the pain points of that and that the ways that you work synchronously and syn asynchronously, you know, I was able to bring that, you know, as we thought about reimagining the workplace and what is hybrid and flex work look like. And again, you know, most of my work at Deloitte was with state government agencies, which, you know, again, higher education, public universities, a lot of the 
type of problem solving looks very different as an industry. And so in many ways, I feel like because I had the exposure and I had the experience of building relationships with people in this industry, in, in some ways, you could almost argue that I made a single switch, although it was more than a single <laughs> switch, but I kind of kept the industry sort of the same. Um, so <clears throat> hopefully that kind of answers a little bit of that. Um, I, I think you know, there's also a piece around core skills right, that have really benefited me. And so I'll kind of touch on that a little bit. I think the, the core skills that hopefully you hear about both on this podcast um, and elsewhere is that there's always some amount of technical expertise, but there's this key set of softer skills around communication, storytelling, and relationship building that any business professional can benefit from, right? So even if you don't want to stay in consulting long-term, you know that if you gain these skills, you're going to be set up for success no matter where you go. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, being a consultant is all about having the ability to influence without any formal authority. And it, it's not often the best solution that wins out is the best story. Uh, and I think we see that outside of consulting as well. We'll be right back after a short break. Getting into a top MBA program like McCombs is not for the faint of heart. The competition for a seat at one of these programs is fierce. So if you're planning to apply, work with the expert team at Management Consultant put your best foot forward. We'll help you prepare your resume, your personal statement, and other essays for applications. A link to learn more is in this episode's show notes. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Daniel. Let's transition a little bit and get to what I know a lot of our listeners really care about. So you were at Deloitte for many, many years. You are now a managing director of career education at a top U.S. business school. So you have great perspective on this. You work with hundreds of students each year who land consulting offers. Uh, and right, everyone wants to know, how do I navigate consulting recruiting? How do I ace the case interview? Uh, do you have some case or consulting prep advice that you share with your students that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll go kind of big picture and then more tactical, right? So I, I think from a big picture standpoint, always be curious is probably the, the biggest piece of advice I can give, right? If, if you're not constantly curious, consulting, you know, you can still make a great career in consulting, but you might be a little drained, right? Because there's this need and drive to constantly be thinking about not just your client's problems, but the problems of anything. And so again, you know, one thing I say is, you know, if, as you go through, whether it's if you're already in business school and you're taking different classes that are exposing you to functions and roles that you've never thought of before or industries that you never thought of before, are you really curious about the problems they have? I think a great question right now to ask is, we think a lot about the problems that COVID-19 has surfaced. Supply chain is a great one. Are you curious about why supply chain is broken? And so I think that always being curious piece really helps you think about and just grow, right? So a constant growth mindset about thinking about things really is going to enable you to be successful. I would say more tactically, um, you know, when I think back to the, the cases I've given, the, the two most resounding pieces of advice, one is around, do you know what problem or question you're trying to solve for, right? What is the prompt? And make sure you write it down, right? So if you're using the landscape mode of writing, you know, kind of drawing two lines, right? One on the left side to create a column in the top, Oftentimes, I just still find myself reminding students who are early in their career preparation, case preparation, you make sure you know what prompt you're solving for and make sure you have the whole prompt. Because right? if you don't have that, then it doesn't really matter, right? Um, and that actually is not just about the case interview. That's actually for any kind of business problem that you solve for in real life. 
And so I, I love that as a proxy for the, the real experience is if you don't actually know the motivation of your client, for example, that perhaps even the problem that's unstated. Uh, I think that's so that's a it's a skill set that gets demonstrated very quickly in the interview process. The second one I would say is assumptions. Right? I, I think the ability to make assumptions is really critical in a case interview process. And the advice I kind of tactically give is make sure you write your assumptions down. Because the, the benefit is, you know, I, I actually have had a student who, you know, followed this advice and they went down a rabbit hole in an interview. The interview was designed to be quite ambiguous and test a little bit of that. Um, are you ability, you know, are you comfortable dealing with this ambiguity? And what they were able to come to was a conclusion that they quickly realized, wow, this is not the right answer. And because they wrote those assumptions down, they could quickly flip back some pages, find the assumption and say, well, I know I made this assumption earlier. Based on the findings now, I'm going to adjust my assumption. If you give me a quick moment, I'm going to readjust my numbers. And their ability to do that actually, I think, is what helped them secure the offer because they were able to you know, have, again, this logical, right, very clear thought process. It helped them also stay grounded. So when they realized, oh, wow, this is not the right answer, right, gut check was wrong, they, could, you know, they were able to quickly go back and figure out exactly kind of the paper trail of what was going on. So both of those are fantastic tips. Uh, I love that because they're not the generic case tips that you would maybe expect to hear that that everyone shares. And especially the first one uh, around understanding the problem that you're solving, uh, I think is critical because oftentimes we have candidates, we have students we work with that think they're bad problem solvers or they're bad at math, right? I'm like, no, you're just bad at listening. Right, uh, You can't be a great problem solver if you don't know the problem you're solving for. You can't be great at math if you don't know the problem you're solving. Uh, and so I think that is an absolutely critical piece of advice and one that I feel like we don't hear enough. So thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Daniel, I know you're a, you're a humble guy, but I'm going to ask you to, to take the, the hat of humility off for a second. Uh, so you've been talking about how you prepare your students uh, to land these consulting offers and, and just transition their careers uh, into their dream career. Uh, that's the reason they came to business school. Uh, so our listeners, why should they want to attend McCombs versus other top business schools they might be considering? Yeah, well, you know, again, it's, it's easy to brag on the team. So I will happily brag on the team because it, it's, it's an expansive team. You know, I think there's a few key primary value adds for McCombs and I would frame them in terms of the program experience which slightly ties to the second one, which is the size of our program. And then lastly, our location, right? So I actually start with location, right? It's Austin, Texas is an incredible place, right? It's a vibrant, fast growing city. That's pretty much number one on every, you know, city, you know, best city, whatever chart these days, right? And of course, the latest is Elon Musk recently just opened the Tesla Gigafactory. And of course, the question is now, you know, is, is Twitter going to move to Austin too, right? Uh, but, but clearly location affords our MBA students, a lot of co-curricular and extracurricular opportunities that just wouldn't be as available in cities that don't have this degree of breadth and depth, right? I, I think there is a local entrepreneur by the name of Worley, and he says it's best, right? When you look geographically across the United States, and, and truly even to some degree globally, but specifically in the U.S., there's no major city that within you know a day's worth of travel, right? So basically, can you do a, a road trip to business meetings between Dallas Austin, San Antonio, and Houston. We have this incredible sort of trifecta that allows for us to have this incredible spread across every industry. And so whether it's healthcare, whether it's government, cybersecurity, military, you can find 
those that that business culture um, within an arm's reach. And again, I think that that's going to continue to showcase itself. It's already kind of proven through the pandemic to be a resilient um, marketplace for jobs. And I think that's going to continue to be. So again, location is, is huge, right? It's a fun place to live. So again, I think a lot of students, you know, come here, maybe not even thinking they want to live long-term in Austin. Um, we find them, you know, really planting and digging roots in. The program size is one I'll, I'll touch on as well. You know, if you think about the size of our program from a top 20 standpoint, we have this really kind of perfect balance. Um, you know, you've got enough students where, you know, if you went to a small, a large undergrad university, you, you kind of got lost in the mix. Um, you're going to find an experience where you get to know every single one of your classmates by graduation. And, and I think that's something that's really valuable when you think about networking. You know, some of the larger you know, programs, you, you might know your cohort or your section really well. Um, but again, here you get to really know the entire class and then you get have, um, you know, you have cohorts and we have these study teams where you get to kind of build deeper and richer connections throughout the, your program experience. Um, speaking about the program experience, I think there's, you know, again, this, there's a student affairs, student life side that I think is really vibrant here. And co-curricular activities, micro consulting projects, other ways, again, for you to kind of work in. We, we kind of talk about this test kitchen, right? This ability for you to, you know, explore and try things. And I think that not, not much of that is necessarily actually career specific, right? It's about your whole self and, you know, again, who you want to become um, in this, again, if we want to use the metaphor of this business accelerator. And then, of course, lastly, and, and, and perhaps most importantly, right, for our listeners is the career piece, right? I, I truly believe we have one of the top career services teams, right? One of the top career management teams in the world. Um, you know, we were featured in Post and Quants a few years back. Uh, and again, I think the reasons why is we have some of the highest touch points with our students um, across all of our top program peers. And we have an incredibly robust and rich employer ecosystem. So especially if you're targeting consulting, technology, investment banking, you name it, um, you know, we've got those opportunities. I, I think what's also valuable is, you know, as we've seen continued interest in other areas like healthcare, sustainability, impact, uh, private equity, and venture capital certainly has grown quite a lot here in Austin. I think we have a program that has a size and a team that has the agility to learn and prepare our students for whatever that might be. And so just to give a very tactical example, I remember a few years ago when Amazon really kind of became one of the top employers for MBA students, a lot of very confusing job titles from product management to program management to technical program management to a non-technical technical program manager role. Um, my team really, you know, took the initiative to work with alumni to listen and, you know, they they actually can give some of the best mock interviews to prepare our students. And so, again, I think we have this robust and rich and alumni ecosystem that also supports our career team with the type of insights. We have partnerships with our employers to, again, bring insights into what are the skills needed in the marketplace. And again, I think um, all of that, you know, all around means, you know, again, it can't happen without great people. And so the staff, the team really, I think, make the experience. And then again, I can't think of a heart. I mean, all, all staff are working extremely hard, right, through through the pandemic. Um, but again, I would say, you know, huge, huge kudos to my team. Daniel, I can vouch for your team as well. Having worked <laughs> with you and your team for, gosh, I think it's been four years now. Uh, yeah. I, I can vouch for the, the quality uh, of the team and the care that they have, the genuine care that they have for your students. Uh, it, it's unparalleled. And, and I say that, uh, you know, from working with over 70 different uh, institutions around the world, uh, you definitely have a world-class team. So kudos to you for, for building that team and, and honing them into that, that lean, mean fighting machine that they are. <laughs> uh, 
I, I do want to ask you about this as well. Uh, and, and I know we've talked about this privately and I wanted to bring it into uh, our, our public conversation as well. But you practice what you preach. You just talked about uh, an MBA program in Macomb specifically being like a test kitchen, right? And, and students having the ability to to experiment and explore and learn different things and and pay attention to their whole selves, right? And, and you are uh, one of the, the best examples I've known personally of a lifelong learner. Specifically, you are a big proponent of community learning. Uh, can you talk to me about what that is and, and why you're such an advocate for that? Sure, happy to. Uh, you know, I, I think we can all agree that community is a buzzword right now, right? It's kind of like Brussels sprouts in 2013, <laughs> Right. You know, we're, we're seeing this with major brands targeting micro influencers who now have hyper local followers. Right. There's this great need, especially with Gen Z for transparency. Right. And connectivity. And again, in all the noise, people are fatigued. Right. And, and community offers you a sense of curation and trust. Right. And so I think this impacts how we learn. And we're really starting to see this. Again, I could list off quite a number of different organizations, resources, but truly at the end of the day, it's people who are directly closest to you who may not, you know, actually share your experiences, right? Your parents are not necessarily always a good proxy um, for the journey that you're on in your career, for example. But when you can find people who share similar commonalities and are on that same journey, then you get accountability, you get support. And I think most importantly right now, you get a sense of belonging, right? You get a safe space where you can thrive. And so I think part of what is creating buzz around the concept of career, of, of communities uh, again, it's not a new concept, right? We've, we've had communities since the beginning of time, but especially with online and virtual communities, right? The quote unquote metaverse, right? Is, you know, what's happening in the kind of web three space right now um, is driving a lot of the conversation. And I think adoption of communities in a different way than we've ever seen in the past. So are there specific communities where you're finding extra learning or connection right now? Yeah, I, you know, I'll kind of list off a few. I think one that's been personally valuable in sort of the space that I'm directly in is with the NBA Insider um, podcast and book community. So Al D and his community, he's really curated NBA students, alumni who are sharing their stories, sharing their experiences, and I'm watching him through the pandemic kind of really create a community. Uh, I think that's been really powerful. And he's, again, he's obviously a valued partner of ours. Um, But there's a reason why, because I think, that sense of community is what we have here at McCombs, and it greatly resonates. In terms of Web3, I would say Invisible College uh, and Odyssey DAO, right, D-A-O, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And I, I won't go into detail about those, but again, these are just two names, and you know, we can put the links there. But these are communities that are really thinking about how do we help people learn more about the Web3 space, right? And it's a broadly defined term, what is Web3? Uh, you know, it's everything from blockchain cryptocurrency, NFTs, right? It's this whole nascent space that is quite early, right? The rails haven't even been built yet, right? It kind of feels, you know, in some ways, Ponzi scheme-esque, you know, early California gold rush, perhaps. But again, I I do think there's an incredible amount of learning and opportunities happening. And so these are really interesting communities to me, because not only are they thinking about learning in a different way, they're thinking about how does that learning then integrate and scale right, to whether it's millions of people. And again, higher education institutions, right, also think about scale differently. So a lot of these communities I'm in, it's partly certainly to contribute, to learn, but really it's to learn, right, to listen and observe, and then to test, right, from from the learnings I've gathered um, in my own environments. 
I love that. I feel like we could talk for the next three hours about blockchain, <laughs> Web3, crypto. We, we could, uh, all we I'll could. say is I'm, I'm personally looking at uh, investing right in, in the picks and shovels of this new space, right? So I don't have to feel the pressure of, of picking winners and losers. Uh, but that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's great insight, Daniel. Uh, we'll put the links to those communities in the show notes. So if any of you are interested in learning more or joining those learning communities, you can go ahead and do that and connect with Daniel uh, in those places as well. So Daniel, we never like to let a guest go uh, without asking you some fun and personal questions and putting you on the spot a little bit. And you've already done such a great job of advocating for Austin. You and I are both Austin-based. Uh, I think we both share a love for the city, the area, the entrepreneurial spirit that's here, uh, the sunshine. <laughs> and, and one of the things that Austin is known best for is the South by Southwest uh, Festival. Uh, and you are uh, what I would call a, a power attender of, of South by. Uh, and so do you have a favorite moment or memory from South by that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I've got to say attending South by Southwest is like going to Disney World. Right? <laughs> uh, if you aren't familiar with it, South by Southwest is a global conference with multiple tracks right, revolving around education, music, film and interactive. Right? And that interactive portion has evolved right over the years. So it's again, if you haven't been, it's kind of like walking around. Pandora, right, for marketing, culture, innovation. And I, I would say, you know, some of my favorite magic moments are getting to the chance to meet, you know, celebrities, individuals you admire and hear them talk, right? So in 2019, I had the chance to listen to Mark Hamill, right, Luke Skywalker on a panel. And then I, I got a selfie afterwards. That was, that was pretty, pretty cool. And I didn't think I could ever top that. Um, and I, I still can't, right? That one, that one sits on its own. <laughs> uh, and I would say this year, again, I think so much of the culture conversation is around quote unquote, the, the metaverse, right? And so I got a chance to listen to Mark Cuban and a few different sessions on innovation, technologies, NFT and, and, and metaverse. And again, I think that was so rich. And again, of course, got a selfie with him as well. I love that. Yeah, not, it's not every day and not, not every place where you can hear from that caliber of person live. Definitely. So in your personal time, Daniel, again, I, I may reveal a little bit too much about you here, but you are, you're a sous vide uh, cooking expert. Uh, what's the best dish that you make? Yeah, yeah, this is something I, I probably put on my LinkedIn, right? Um, and you know, I've been sous vide cooking for almost a decade now, right? And so again, um, if you're not familiar with sous vide cooking, the main concept is water is a better conductor of heat than air. So when you put food in an oven, you know, you set your oven to bake a, a chicken at you know 400 degrees, and it's going to dry out if you keep it in there too long, right? As the food is being brought up to temperature. And when you cook in a sealed bag, submerged in water. You can trust that the food's not going to overcook and you get this incredible precision, right, in your cooking. And so, you know, cooking a steak, right, better than most restaurants is never going to get old, right? We've been doing it for a decade now. Um, but if you're just diving in, I, you know, I would highly recommend sous vide cooking chicken around 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, again, you know, you know, read the label, make sure you do it correctly. Uh, there's definitely some FDA, right, food safety pieces around that. Um, but, you know, if you're a pescatarian, right, try salmon at 123, 124 degrees. That's our family's favorite temperature. My wife likes it slightly at 124, I like it at 123. And again, there's a degree of precision you just can't get with normal cooking. And of course, if you're a vegetarian, right, there's actually some incredible things you can do with root vegetables. Um, so carrots sous vide at 180, 184 degrees. Um, you can really infuse like rosemary and some other spice flavors, cumin, um, that can do a lot of things that retain both um, sort of the nutrition and quality of the, the food item that you're cooking. Uh, again, so, you know, again, I could go on for days. Um, don't really have a favorite dish, but again, I think anytime someone asks me about sous vide cooking, those are some of my go-tos. All right, Daniel, I'm coming over to your house for dinner. 
Let's do it. <laughs> and then we, we've talked a lot today about uh, the communities that you're a part of, where you're finding connection and learning right now. Uh, just Is there a favorite book you're reading or show you're watching? It doesn't have to be professional or serious, but do you just have a favorite that you'd recommend to our audience? Yeah, there, there's so many. Um, I think I'll give you one of each, if that's okay. Do we have time for that? Yeah. So book-wise, I would say... There's a book I read almost a year ago. It came out about a year and, and change. Um, it's called Unleashed, The Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You by Francis Fry and Ann Morris. And gosh, you know, this book really just focuses on sort of a, a key concept, right? Which is the less that a leader focuses on themselves, the better that they actually do, right? And their teams do. And so this book is based on research that Francis and her team really spent and one of their clients was Uber, right? And thinking through the toxicity that Uber was going through, can you fix that? So they were brought in as consultants. And so you have this book that's rich with experiences. And of course, as a consultant, it's filled with frameworks that help individuals quickly make improvements as a leader. And so, you know, if you are a leader currently, if you're struggling to be, if you've got recently promoted to be a leader, I think this is an incredible book for you because it, it hits on a framework around trust that I think is really incredible. So there's a trust triangle you can certainly go, you know, Google um, or, or check the the YouTube videos that you know are out there, the TED talks that are out there. But I do recommend the book because I do think it, you know, it'll be a book that sits on your shelf and you come back to time and time again. In terms of podcasts, again, kind of going back to these ideas of communities and where kind of was what was my starting point in, in sort of scratching this itch around the future. Um, there's a podcast called The Means of Creation. It's a show by Lee Jin and Nathan Bashez, and it, they kind of started off talking about the passion economy, right, and the future of work. And so, again, we kind of went from the gig economy, right, what Uber created. Again, I would kind of call these Web2 economies. Um, and slowly we started to see this shift from gig economy to passion economy. And then now as we think about Web3, really think about ownership and the ownership economy. And so I can't think of a better podcast um, series that just highlights and touches on these concepts, which – Things that you just normally, in your normal day, your normal newsletters and substacks, you're probably not going to get a lot of information on. So again, that always being curious piece, if you want to add something, a little bit of spice, if you will, into your mix, um, Means of Creation, I think is a great podcast. I love those. And Daniel, we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes as well, so folks can check those out. Thank you so much for joining us today on Strategy Simplified. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation like I always do. Uh, and if you were listening closely, I think that there are multiple nuggets for you to mine, no matter where you're at in your career, consulting, or leadership journey. So, Daniel, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, welcome to After Office Hours. We're very excited for another edition. And today we're answering a question from Jake from TikTok. So Jake, we appreciate you following us on TikTok. Uh, we're excited to get your question today. And before we do that, uh, when, if you're on TikTok, which uh, there are very, very many of you that are, so we'd love a quick follow, go ahead and, and just uh, give us a follow there for uh, weekly content on breaking into consulting, on case interviews, consulting news, etc. So uh, today we have Stephanie. Stephanie, thank you for coming on, being willing to answer uh, some questions here. How are you doing? I'm great, Javid. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, let's get right into it. So Jake's question, Jake from TikTok, is uh, what is a sample path? to get into consulting out of undergrad 
from a semi-target school. Stephanie, there you go. Mm-hmm. Jake, thanks so much for the question. I mean, a sample path to getting into consulting from a semi-target school. Um, you know, I have to chuckle there a little bit. Semi-target school, what does that mean, Jake? But I, I get it. You're not at one of the kind of maybe premier institutions, maybe through your career services team, you don't have an established pathway. Maybe there's not firms coming onto campus to actively recruit you. So instead, how are you going to find this opportunity? I mean, uh, the first thing I want to say is, um, I, I want I want to try and, and promote a little bit of a perspective shift here, and a little bit of stepping back and looking at the broad the broader pathway. Reality is that there are fewer spots in the consulting industry coming out of undergrad as compared to coming out of an advanced degree role. So. Even if you're unsuccessful at getting into consulting out of undergrad, that does not mean that you can't get into consulting over the next three to five year time frame, you know, post undergrad degree. Um, you know, it, and and if you think about how am I going to how am I going to work through my 20s, if I still really want to get to that, I'll ultimately get into consulting. You can think about just what's the best stepping stone I can take getting out of my business or out of my undergrad degree, whether that's a business degree or not. Um, and then how can I think about leveraging that first one or two work experiences after undergrad and then trying to get into the best advanced degree program as possible, a top tier MBA program, for, for example, uh, and then use that as my launch pad and stepping stone to get into the consulting industry. So I, I want you to have that longer term view. Um, we, we know consulting in general is a competitive industry, and especially at the undergrad level, there are not too many slots and spots to go around. Uh, the other thing that I want, want to tell you is it, it should not be MBB or bust, right? It, you, you should be targeting and having a broader net, a broader recruitment process, looking at and thinking holistically about what are the firms that are hiring at the undergrad level in the cities, in the locations that I want to live and work? Um, and, and knowing that you can think about this in terms of a stepwise approach. Um, the lateral moves in consulting are something that are common and perhaps becoming even more prevalent. So if you're able to get into a smaller to medium-sized consulting firm now out of undergrad and then decide to leverage that into moving into a you know, bigger or quote unquote better firm, that's a possibility a couple years down the line. Or to use that as a launching pad to be able to move into, again, a, an advanced degree program like an MBA or something else, that, that could be another opportunity there. Um, so at, at a semi-target school, without that completely defined recruiting pathway, Essentially, what that's going to mean is you're going to have to make the most out of your opportunities based on firms that your your campus has direct relationships with. That is going to every information session available to you, using that to help build relationships and actually get to know those firms, um, really leaning into that on-campus recruiting process to the degree that it exists, but also doing the work on your own to be able to find and take advantage of opportunities for other firms who are recruiting undergrad candidates. So um, if you're not already on our listserv, then that's something that you definitely want to do as we continue to promote and put out job opportunities um, and, and undergrad recruiting deadlines, et cetera. 
Um, you also want to, you know, really get a broad understanding of the consulting landscape. So the, our consulting firm directory would be a place to start and look and see and understand who are the different firms that are operating in the locations in which I have a right to work, want to work, where it makes sense for me to live and work after graduation um, so that you can come up with your list and your strategy of who do I want to target um, and that you do the work of, of getting to know those firms, understanding really whether or not you want to work there and meeting people in those firms before you actually apply. So the last piece there, Jake, is if you do have access to our management consultant platform, or if you want to get access to that in terms of your broader career path um, and recruiting process, you could go through the MC Starter Pack and the Networking Boot Camp to be able to learn more about these um, the, these specific tactical steps to take about, you know, it, it, analyzing the, the consulting industry, figuring out if, where you fit, where you want to go, and then what it looks like to start to get to know people before you apply. There's a lot of independent pieces in there. We've got other podcasts and articles and such, which speak specifically to some of those different tactical steps. But that's that's the that's the approach and that's the sample game plan I want you to have as you move forward. Good luck to you, Jake. And thanks again for the question. Amazing. Uh, that's gold, Stephanie and Jake and Anybody else who's listening, I hope you're taking notes. There's a lot of good stuff in there and a lot of goodies that Stephanie mentioned, which we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. We have resources that span the gamut of kind of the, the consulting recruiting landscape. And so we've got a lot of good stuff on our website, a lot of free stuff, and then also paid resources. And uh, Jake or anyone, you know, no matter your background, um, our Black Belt program, which is our premium case prep consulting prep program um, may be useful for you, you know, regardless of background, of of timeline, whatever your situation is, we're not scared of it. Um, we have a team of MBB coaches that will help you create a structured prep prep plan and then help you execute on that to get ready, to get confident, to get competent uh, on the case and reprocess. And so we'd love to ha have you join us. And so the links to all that will be in the show notes. Um, but Stephanie, thank you again for answering and folks, please, uh, we'd love hearing your questions, answering your questions. So if you've got any, uh, send them in to podcast at managementconsultant.com. You can write them in or you can, uh, send a voice recording. So just pull up your phone, record a quick voice message and send that in. And, uh, we'd be happy to, to answer it. And so thanks again for listening to and tuning into this episode of after office hours. Um, yeah, we're excited to, to catch you again next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Strategy Simplified. As always, if you liked what you heard, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and a rating on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.